Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast, special Christmas edition with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders in the hospitality and restaurant industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, I was very lucky to be talking with Louis Blake, who is a leading plant-based cereal entrepreneur and founder of Irvington House, the UK's largest vegan restaurant and California kitchen in London. He's also an award winner in marketing and an international public speaker. I sat down with Louis in Brighton to talk about entrepreneurship, the power of plant-based food, leadership, and what his secret to success is, and much more. So grab pen and notebook, There's some great advice and thinking in this special Christmas episode. Enjoy and a Merry Christmas to all of you out there from Hospitality Mavericks. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. Today, again, we have another Maverick visiting us, coming to Brighton. I think he's traveled all the way from Norwich on the radar earlier. So that's quite, we're quite grateful for that. So I have uh, Louis Blake here. Some of you have probably noticed him on social media, California Kitchen and so on. But I will let him introduce himself for you guys that hasn't noticed him out there in the spaceship. And I can tell you, you're in for a different view on how you build a restaurant empire. Welcome, Louis. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. For guys out there that don't know you, can you just get a short and concise and quick elevator speech about who you are and what you're doing and why you're here? Sure, yes. I'm the co-founder of Erpingham House, which is the UK's largest vegan restaurant, and also the co-founder of California Kitchen, which is central London vegan fast casual restaurant, public speaker on the topics of a mix between veganism and hospitality marketing. Yeah. So kind of the intersection of those two. Prior to that, 10 plus years hospitality but mainly on the nightclub and nightlife kind of side of things and then took a a kind of a pivot into marketing and then into what I do today which is obviously focused on the sustainability plant-based space. Your restaurant's a bit different than the average restaurant so you are 100% vegan restaurant plant-based restaurant why did you decide to go out on that venture I guess and I know it's, it's a personal change as well you did. Yeah, I think any entrepreneur, the, the business is essentially an expression of themselves, right? So for me, it was, I went vegan five years ago for health reasons. On that personal journey, started to learn a lot about sustainability. And I was living in London at the time when I was going back to Norwich to visit friends and family. I talk about this amazing vegan lifestyle that I'd adopted, but found it difficult to take them anywhere to go and eat that was relatable or that they'd feel comfortable in going. I found a lot of vegan restaurants that catered very much to vegans. At the same time, I noticed a lot of friends and, and other people that were taking an interest in plant-based diets, but didn't necessarily want to adopt the full vegan lifestyle or be seen as a vegan, so to speak, for the negative connotations that perhaps go with it at times. So what I set out to create was a space where people felt comfortable and, and felt that they were able to go and enjoy plant-based food without having to be a vegan or having to go somewhere where they felt they're perhaps being judged or, or felt potentially uh, unfamiliar. So yeah, it led to me kind of having worked. I, was, I did some work with Wagamama on launching their vegan menu. I was helping plant-based vegan startups and, and companies with their marketing strategy. And it led to me wanting to start my own venture my own restaurant and that's what led to the creation of Erpingham House it was now I guess 18 months ago we started on that journey wow it's gone fast then you've gone really quick yes but yeah and as you know you know the first year in any hospitality business is is a hectic one so it's been a year and yeah I actually opened both sites in the same year wow Uh, yeah so that was a that was a real kind of real challenge but a a real enjoyable challenge you know even when you have experience doing two sites in a year when you come from zero without all honor and respect you come you, you just open the door on the first one and then the next one that will be challenging for everyone so that's well done the whole thing about you know being you plant-based we all know that this is a massive trend in yeah. in the uk you see that there's probably 20 percent 21 percent to 20 percent there's flexitarian now there's like a movement away from for meat and you know being vegan vegetarian you're seeing that the larger restaurant chains is becoming a mainstream i guess plant-based is now a mainstream thing why do you think that because of course there's health reason and environmental reason but why do you think that suddenly the change has been so quick and your growth of your business is an example of that i think as well i think it's becoming more of a mainstream discussion topic due to a number of things firstly the availability of information social media makes information travel so much faster i feel that a number of celebrities and, and prominent figures have adopted vegan diets and spoke openly about them. Lewis Hamilton is one. Djokovic, women Wimbledon and quoting a plant-based diet as being 
being instrumental in, yeah. in, in, in his performance. So I think that they've certainly had an impact. And the availability, you know, five years ago when I first went vegan, trying to find a high street offering was very difficult. Now it's much more freely available. And I feel that the, the convenience question is beginning to be answered. The information question is beginning to be answered. The price point is more accessible now with high street change and supermarkets having vegan offerings. The perception of vegans and veganism is starting to shift away from being something that's a fringe cultural movement, almost a cult to a degree, <laughs> yeah. into something that's more of a more acceptable and, and almost aspirational in the mainstream. I'm hoping, and I, and I and I would I aspire to play a role in bringing that into the forefront. Yeah, it's quite interesting you mention uh, Lewis Hamilton. As I understand and read very briefly in the media, he's invested into a vegan I believe fast he's, food he's, restaurant. he's attached his name to a vegan concept in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is, we're, we're mission driven, right? So for me, mm. the mission is to normalize plant-based food, to make it accessible, to make it normal, to help more people discover their health benefits and obviously play a part in the environmental benefits. So for me, the more plant-based restaurants are open the better if they're next door to me if they're around the corner for me i think it's great i don't have a competition mindset with that so, so yeah i think it's absolutely great the more celebrities that get involved the more people that endorse and endorse the lifestyle and the diet the better for me so just staying a bit at, uh, on your journey so you open in norwich and in london and the third side on the way in Brighton, you announced, and you're raising funds right now for that. We've subtly announced it, shall yeah. I say? So yeah, we, we tentatively put it out there that we're we're planning a site in Brighton, which we are indeed. We're going to open, aiming for February next year. At this stage, is very much dependent on the location, which we're actively looking for at the moment. But yeah, it'll be an Erpingham House brand. It'll be our second Erpingham House site, and we've chosen Brighton one because my business partner's from the area, and we want to keep it in the family, so to speak. We want it to be very much a local venue. I lived in Brighton for six months, absolutely loved it. And we see Brighton as an amazing space for hospitality, great tourism, uh, an understanding of vegan foods, but perhaps historically vegan restaurants that are very much aimed at vegans and vegetarians, whereas we want to create a space that presents a plant-based diet to more of a mainstream audience. Yeah, and the cross is over. I think it's fair to say so. Brighton for us is is a logical next step, and I absolutely love the area. So yeah, super excited. That's going to be early next year. Yeah, that's a, that's very exciting. So yeah, so you've gone very fast over a broad area of geographical area opening these units. And we've gone fast again because it comes back to the mission. I mean, ultimately, I don't foresee that we have a huge amount of time to resolve the environmental crisis that we find ourselves in. And that our vehicle for making a contribution in resolving that crisis is through popularizing plant-based food that's proven to be more sustainable for the environment. So if we can make those options more readily available for people, that's furthering our mission and, and we have to do that quickly to align with with what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and it's interesting. We had a coffee before we went into the recording room and we talked about, you know, it's so obvious what's going on, you know, the Amazon is burning right now due to our way of consuming meat or overconsumption of meat globally. We have ocean challenges and all that comes primarily from our food system and how we use it. Yeah, and I you agree, you know, if you have a clear mission and, and a purpose, it's much easier because you're scaling. We talked a bit about you're scaling a store. You're not just opening restaurant for the sake of their vehicle, for something bigger. Indeed. Than an open door for a restaurant. You mentioned a thing that's something quite interesting was it's about making it accessible to people or nudging people to eat more plant-based thing. That's what can I compare it to from what I know the the traditional kind of food if I went to a restaurant? Could I get something similar dishes? Yeah, or and is... this is the this is the way we make it accessible. It has to be recognizable for people. You can't alienate people. So for us, it tends to be dishes that are recognized but reimagined in such a way that they utilize plant-based ingredients as opposed to meat, fish, dairy, eggs, etc. Yeah. So we do a vegan fish and chips. Uh, it uses banana blossom. We have a burger. Well, on the flip side, we have very healthy options. We have a Buddha bowl, which uses traditional vegetables that you'd find, salads and smoothie bowls. And, you know, they're dishes that are recognizable, but made of plant-based ingredients. So it means that someone who's never or suggests that they've never had a vegan meal, I'm sure they've had beans on toast before, but say someone said they've never eaten a vegan meal before, they can come to the restaurant, look at the menu, and there's plenty of things that they recognize equally the dishes on there that for someone who's being a, feeling a little bit more imaginative can give something new a try as well so i think the way you make it accessible is first and foremost is with the food ultimately the food has to be understood 
I think secondly, you base your offering around something more than just the food and that's experience led. So whether it's the aesthetic, it's the dining experience, it can be a host of other things, the, the way it's delivered, et cetera, et cetera. And then you subtly make a suggestion around what the mission is and how that correlates with the person. The way that we approach it is we try and meet customers at the intersection of what we're trying to achieve and what they're interested in. A prime example for that for us is, is wellness. We see a huge boom in the wellness industry, people going to yoga, people going joining gyms, people taking up running, et cetera. It's entirely agreeable across all different people with all different views that an increase in fruits and vegetables, an increase in natural foods, a decrease in processed foods, a decrease in sugar will result in healthier body. If you're actively pursuing sports, exercise, wellness, then adopting plant-based foods will only help you to achieve within that realm. So we meet customers where they are, you know. We've put on free yoga workshops, free yoga classes, a free running club. These are things where you don't have to be vegan, but you have an interest in those things. It's a way to build a relationship around a shared interest. And ultimately that removes the barrier that perhaps can be put up by the word vegan. I guess there will be people that ate in your restaurant that then... That maybe didn't know it was a vegan restaurant when they came that in happens. There. Yeah. That happens. And then they think, wow, that's an amazing meal. Yeah, and I, I, definitely. And I, I would go as far as saying that 90% of our customers aren't vegan. A large proportion of our customers aren't vegan. I would argue that there's a percentage of our customers don't even realize that there's no meat and dairy on the menu. So, yeah, and, and that's important. You know, for us, it's about serving great food that happens to be vegan not leading with the fact we're vegan because there's a ton of vegan restaurants now. It has to be more of a, a, a deeper offering than that. Yeah, if you look at the industry and you said, you know, you were part of Wakamama launching a vegan range. You've seen even the big chains have seen this opportunity as well. There's a commercial opportunity as well and also their, their role in this. And you see like Pret with their veggie Pret mm-hmm. buying eat to convert them into yep. veggie Prets. So there's no doubt about this is rolling really, really fast. And you can see there's a developing on the more you know accept the norm that i actually need to eat more plants but i guess again it comes down to if the meal doesn't taste inspiring it'll be difficult to convert people because in the in the end of the day the customer has to love the food they get 100%. first of all 100%. So it's what... the, the, just about the product right the product has to yeah. be great and I, th- I think if you can give someone a product that tastes as good if not better is more sustainable is healthier and is priced correctly why would you choose the, the one that contains animal products? There, there's no reason to. So you have to remove the, the, the almost the excuse. So for us, it's about working super hard to make sure the food tastes even better than its animal counterpart. We can show that it's more sustainable. We can show that it delivers the same uh, degree of nutrients and present it in such a way that it's aspirational and desirable. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. I love the fact that these chains are rolling out concepts around this. They have an infrastructure that they can leverage for such a positive purpose and I and I fully support them doing that. Veggie prep, for example, putting plant-based options on the high street is great. Ultimately, the reasons for people not going vegan or not choosing a vegan option comes down to convenience, comes down to price, comes down to information and equally it comes down to it being good or not. Ultimately, you're right, the product determines whether people buy it or not. If it tastes horrible, you're not going to buy it. So it has to be good as well. And I guess you're up against when vegan and vegetarian was the hippie thing, you know, that was like hippie aid, vegetarian. I can remember that 20 years ago. Yeah, and what, what's happening now is because so many people are doing it, it, it creates innovation. The more yeah. people that, that are giving it a go, the, the better it's going to You have to be, be even better. If you were the only vegan restaurant in town 10 years ago, you could get away with not being so good. Mm. Now there's 10. You, you better be good. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to survive. And it's not enough to just be the point of difference be that you're vegan. It has to be more than that because there's other places. You, you know, you don't get away with that anymore. Yeah, and I totally agree because I wrote an article for the Restaurant Startup magazine last month and it was about going green or the mainstream of plant-based restaurants coming. And uh, I said, well, it doesn't matter if you do plant-based food just because you want to hop on a trend, a marketing trend. You still have to be exceptional good. You have to position mm. yourself for being the best. You need to set a new standard within that. Definitely. The food, the way you treat people and the customers. Because you don't do that, people find out and it will go somewhere else. And it's so easy to find out nowadays, you know. As you said, the freedom of information is great. The ability to connect with new restaurants and, and view restaurants on social media is amazing. But ultimately, it means that you, you'll be exposed very, very quickly. So it's very, very, very important that if you're offering plant-based items, people are going to arrive with a preconceived notion of, of it being tasteless or, or not as good as a meat alternative. So you have to work even harder. We, we experience that often when you have a birthday group or corporate function or 
private party and as members of the party they haven't elected to visit the restaurant they've come as part of a group you see them when they come in and ultimately you want to make sure that when they leave the posture and the and the, the, the is completely different you know which is one of the most fulfilling parts of my job and and that's why I like to spend time on the restaurant floor is because I I can see it in people you know and ultimately my objective is is as I said is to make this this these food choices more accessible and and and, and to and to push these food choices I don't really care about vegans eating in the restaurant <laughs> they're done like they're they're eating vegan food already that's that's kind of mission complete for me yeah. I want the people that have never had a vegan meal before that refuse to eat plant based food that yeah. think it's tasteless they're the ones I want to come and eat yeah. that's my mission to convert those people and, and, and offer them an experience they weren't expecting and to plant a seed so that the next time they go to the supermarket or the next time they're out they're out in a coffee shop they, they choose the plant based option it's very interesting you said that you, you need to put that show on that we had Bill Collinson on the on the, the show as well and he said like the most important thing is that get the food right and then you need to put a show on and make people feel special so when they walk out they actually feel different than when they came in because you're selling a a feeling in restaurants yeah so coming back a bit to, to the industry so you started at a time where yeah, in, in the middle of what we call the perfect storm rising costs lack of talent declining growth across the industry even more economic uncertainty around the corner yeah so so what is your view on on, on this industry coming you said you've been in it before, but you actually yeah. did different thing and then came in a bit like an outlier in a way, yeah. trying to do something well, I d- new. I, I don't want to win when it's easy. I want to win when it's hard. Mm. You know, like I, anyone can jump on it when it's busy and it's working and, you know, and it's easy. I want to win. If I'm going to win and I want to test myself, I want to do it when it's the hardest time possible. Because ultimately when we come out of this bad spell and we emerge, I'm still going to be there. I see it as an opportunity. I see this time as an opportunity with people failing and with re- restaurants closing and with there being a decline in standards. This screams opportunity to me as you said yeah i'm not from a restaurant background but i see that as a benefit if you look at airbnb you look at uber you look at netflix you know you're talking about people that have had not had relevant industry experience well industry experience on one hand potentially but equally the stale nature of, of having seen something done a certain way for so long i'm looking at it from a fresh perspective i'm a marketeer i look at things from a marketing and creative perspective i don't know operations but i know how i want to be treated as a customer I know how to communicate effectively what we're trying to achieve. And I feel so passionate about what we're trying to achieve that it's more than a business for me. And I feel that if you want, to, if you want it to work in, in 2019, it has to be more than a business. It's a lifestyle. But you have to be connected to a deeper purpose and it purely being for the ego of being a restaurant owner mm. or having the best food. Like It's not enough because it's so hard that it has to be deeper rooted for you than that. You can have the best product in the world, but if no one knows about it, no one's going to come to your restaurant, right? So I've been able to bring in people that are able to create the best product. And I've been able to then go about doubling down on my own skill set, which is letting the world know about it. So I've created the offering with that in mind. We're seeing a rise of Instagrammable restaurants. Well, that's great. But if it's Instagrammable for the purely for the purpose of being Instagrammable, then it's empty and you'll get found out. It's not authentic. We have created an aesthetic that encourages people to share the fact they're there, but it's built on purpose. And ultimately, when they share that aesthetic, they're sharing our purpose and they're helping us to communicate that further, which in turn brings people back to the business. And ultimately, that's that's what we hope will help seed our growth and continue to, to help us grow. It's a quite interesting thing you said, because I totally agree. If you're in when it's hard and you come out on the other side and you're determined to get out on the other side, you come out stronger than anyone else starting when it starts. Because mm-hmm. it cycles. Ray Dalio, yeah. one of my favorite mentors, if I can say, when I look at people. That's great been book, very, by the way. Yeah, great, great book, yeah. Principles. If you yeah. hadn't read Principles in Work and Life, go and buy it now and start writing your principles because it's about things are in cycles in a way. And if you get in where everybody's running out, it's often where you have the biggest win, organizational or sales or whatever you take it, because you build your organization in a different way than you would when you have the headwind. <laughs> yeah. So you, you were saying that it's about setting the team in principle. So yeah. how did you get get around that? Because you, you moved quite fast. So how did you make sure that you got the right people on board? And how did you do that? Because that's often what people say out there. Oh, we have a talent crisis, but how are we going to get right? They're great people. We hire based on being aligned with our mission, first and foremost. Ultimately, I believe that you can have the most experienced, skilled individual, but if they're not bought into why you're doing what you're doing, they won't perform for your business. So ultimately, it's about finding people that care about the same things you care about and see the business as an extension of what themselves and seeing the business as a vehicle to achieve 
what they're trying to achieve in the world. Fortunately for me, I have a team of people in, in both restaurants that are mostly vegan and that really care about what's going on in the world and see their role at the restaurant as a way to helping achieve that purpose and feel aligned with our mission and part of our mission to go out and make these food choices more readily available as a means to helping the world be more sustainable, helping people be healthier, helping save animals. And because they feel attached to that, they're willing to put in the work and they're willing to, to work harder. When you have someone with that, that kind of attitude, it's very easy to train them. Very, very easy to train someone who's willing to, who wants to learn and wants to learn because it's that important to them. We've got it wrong a few times, 100%. Of course we have. I'm willing to fail fast. I'm willing to fail. And we have failed in terms of some of the hires that we've made. But ultimately, you know, it's about believing in what you're doing, continuing without loss of enthusiasm and, 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 and loss of belief in what you're doing and, and pivoting slightly to, to based on the lessons you've learned. But I would say that we have in place now a, a team that I'm very, very, very happy with that are super open, that aren't the most experienced team in the world. But we've made hires to, to, to train those people and, and to improve that side of things. But I would say the, the biggest piece of advice I can give on that is to hire people that care and hire people that are bought into why you're doing what you're doing and then give them the skills thereafter. That, for me, I would say is, is the most important thing. I totally agree. It's, a, it's about cultural fit and it's about do they actually believe in, in the long game while you're here, in a way. And, and if you can build a recruitment system and a selection system around that, and uh, of course, there will be no leader in any industry that said they didn't get hiring wrong. If you acknowledge you got it wrong and you deal with it, that's the best thing you can do because your job is to get the right people on the bus and the wrong off the bus. Absolutely. I think it's in a micro sense, it's about developing leaders and to have a real clear and honest communication process with your staff. Go and find out what they're interested in beyond just working at the restaurant. Do they have an interest in, in graphic design? Do they have an interest in, in social media? Do they have an interest in fashion? Find something they care about and then offer them a way to implement that into their daily work. So I'll give you an example. If I have a employee who's particularly fond of fashion, let them use your space to put on an event, a fashion event, once a month and help them and give them the resources the restaurant already has in place to facilitate that. One, it gives them a project to work on that they care about. Two, it aligns them with even further with what you're trying to achieve. Three, it can potentially bring new customers into the restaurant who wouldn't have come before. And four, it builds their relationship with you and that bond. You know, if you've got someone that works in, in the kitchen who's a commie or a KP and they're seeing everything that goes on from a food prep perspective, give them access to the Instagram. Let them create Instagram content for you if they're interested in creative. Find about ways that you can further engage staff, find ways that, that you can further involve them in the business and give them a little bit of responsibility. It's been amazing for us to be able to do that. It's been super important because you're going to have times where, you know, it's quieter and they're not in service. You can give them cleaning to do, great. But you can also perhaps give them a, a, a role within a social media sense or with a graphic sense or something else. Go and create some content for 20 minutes. If there's nobody in, why don't you film yourself making a cocktail and put the list on Instagram story and ask people to vote on what ingredient they'd like you to use. There's so many more creative ways that you can you can leverage staff's time that they're going to buy into and they're going to get benefit from as well. I was smiling as you said that because that's the, the typical approach. That's nothing to do. Go and do some cleaning. Of course, that's important. That's a basic thing. We need to have a clean place. At some point, you can't clean anymore. And sometimes you also have to, again, prioritize what can make the biggest impact on sales right now. Cleaning or somebody train and improve their skills in making a drink. And, and then, as you say, very cleverly, take a picture and share it with the world. That requires an element of trust as well, though, right? Yeah. And it also requires you to have clearly communicated your brand message so that when you do entrust that responsibility on someone to, to have access to your Instagram account, they're going to communicate in a way that is relevant. Yeah, and I guess that comes back to, we talked a bit about coffee earlier this, today. We talked a bit about that. There's so many businesses, not only in restaurants and hospitality, that don't have this, you know, they're clarified and ingrained their purpose and direction through the organization. So people really don't understand why are we here? Yeah, we have a, I have a job, I get a paycheck and that's fine. If you don't get it and the staff don't get it, you can bet your house your customers aren't going to get it. And if yeah. your customers don't get it, how are they going to go and tell other people about it? You know, your staff is the biggest megaphone you have to, to the world. Absolutely. So that sounds, you know, for many would say, well, that's all good. You can say it, sit and say that. But how, how will you implement and make sure that happens across now? Are you becoming a chain now? Or how do you see yourself with three units on with number three on the horizon? And then often you have to scale up issues. You have the, you know, growing pains, as people call them. What is your first approach to make sure that you keep your purpose and direction alive? Well, yeah, I guess opening second site, it was, to be clear, it was a separate business, separate partners, separate business, separate brand. 
So the only challenge really was for me personally and how I navigated that challenge as, as a marketeer and my role within that business. I had a clearly defined role in both, which I still do. So it, it wasn't too much of an issue, I wouldn't say. Time is always an issue for me, but ultimately for my personal development, it's about learning how to delegate and how to, how to enlist the help of other people, which has been a huge piece of personal growth for me. In terms of what happens when the brand of Erpingham House now grows to site number two, to be entirely honest, we'll have to see. I believe that mission and the way we deliver that mission is strong enough to carry across. But ultimately what we're also looking to do is create a local restaurant, right? So the way the brand works here will one be predicated upon the site that it like goes into first and foremost because it has to work with the location secondly it will be very much on how it's received locally as to how we pivot and then uh, adapt but the mission stays the same it won't change it's very very important to us i wouldn't say we're a chain at two sites it's, it's still two it's two restaurants at that point and yeah it, i think we'll have to see it's very interesting. You touched on a, a concept Andreas Carlson from Sticks and Sushi called that we build one restaurant at a time. Yes, we're a chain. We build one at a time, locally understanding that you know environment we're in, and then we make it work before we move on. It has to stand alone. And I'm and I'm absolutely not suggesting that the, the, what's worked in Norwich will work in Brighton. Mm. But we have a we have a loose blueprint. We mm. have a blueprint. We have a we have a clear vision. We have a loose blueprint that we're willing to be adaptive on and fluid on, and it will have to fit with the local area. We still want to prioritise using local suppliers, so they'll be Brighton-based suppliers. We want to use local people. As I said, my business partners from the area understands the market. Yeah, it's one at a time. It will be a Brighton business. It won't be a Norwich business that comes to Brighton or a London business. It will be a Brighton business. And yeah, absolutely, it will be one at a time. How do you predict what's going to happen the next three, five years? And that's always an interesting conversation yeah. with people, especially right now, where some people say it's never been darker than this now. But how would you see it's evolving the next three to five years? in your view it's diversifying in terms of the way people are consuming food in general right so if we if we look at the rise of delivery apps for example we launched on Deliveroo four months ago we created a sub-brand so as to not potentially devalue our core offering and we chose to do a pizza offering because one we knew the food would travel well two the margin would allow us to be on the site in the first place because obviously as you know delivery apps take a, a fairly large percentage and three we wanted to be able to offer a slightly diverse product from our restaurant offering so delivery for me is going to be a big one more and more people as we, we move into even more of a convenience-led culture where we binge watch netflix and we our taxi has to arrive at exactly where we stand etc etc as that becomes more of a trait of our culture i foresee us becoming even more convenience-led and therefore delivery continuing to be a thing i think the potential of pre-order as we become more time starved will start to play a role people calling their order ahead to come in and eat i see as potentially being something that will be more prominent traceability is going to be a massive one people really caring where their food comes from how it gets there not just from a vegan perspective but ultimately as sustainability becomes a big thing it's not just about meat and dairy anymore it's about you know has this avocado flown however far it's come and what's the implications of that i think we're going to start to care more about where our food comes from and that could in turn see a rise in more seasonal offerings and more local produce coming to the forefront my hopes are that begin to be recognized as a more of a professional industry right i think at the moment the the issue that i have that, that i hear is that hospitality isn't really regarded as much of a uh, a nice industry to work in should we say or a respected industry to work in but some of the best entrepreneurs i know are working in hospitality some of the most creative intelligent fantastic people i've met working in the hospitality industry and i do hope that they start to receive the recognition they deserve and i do hope that we can entice more people into working in this space because you're working in a space that brings people so much joy and happiness and, and to give people hospitality is one of the most rewarding things you can do i do hope that we are able to attract more people to this as a career. And I think the other thing that's happening as well is, you know, people, people are less confined to one career their whole lives. People can flip between different jobs and careers. And I've certainly done it. And I, I probably will continue to work in different different sectors. And I, I hope that that enables more people to feel that they can work in hospitality. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation the other day with a friend where we talked about this hospitality, the last bastion of humanity in a way when you think about how we consume products is that where we can actually still go and have an interaction with human being where actually that's why we go there because we can just order it online and get it delivered to the door but when we need that connection with the world or meet with friends and family we will still go and enjoy hospitality it will still be i'm seeing on the flip side as well though and I, I, I must say that i'm seeing almost a detraction from some people from this modern tech convenience led lifestyle for me personally, I I've, I've now have a Nokia phone with no apps on. 
I go into retreat once a month. I spend time away from my phone. I remove my television and my Wi-Fi from my house. I'm seeing more and more people adopt the same approach. And that's very interesting because you are very visible and social in your work, but at home, there's no connection to that. There has to be a balance because you drive yourself insane. And I feel that you're absolutely right. I, I want to make my restaurants as much as, you know, I created them in such a way that they're very shareable. I want people to share their experiences and tell other people because ultimately that's the way that we're going to attract more people to visit us. And we have to have people visit us to generate revenues, generate profit, to enable us to spread our mission, of course. But I want our restaurants to be a place where people can come and be inspired and have conversations and have experiences. And that's not going to happen when your face is stuck in your phone for three hours. No, and that's funny. When you go to a restaurant today, you can see a couple out eating. We were in a, we were on holiday and we were in a restaurant with the family or two kids. And we were sitting and talking with them. And there was a family. And we we're not judging them. We were just observing that yeah. they were all on their phones. And I'm guilty of it and I've done it yeah. and I've done it and you know and even we were sat earlier yeah. I was on my phone you guys have and we were checking bits and pieces and it, and it happens but I like the idea that we can create a space where people can come and it can almost be an escape an escape or a sanctuary or you know and, and in order to facilitate that it has to be the correct environment and the environment is created by the decor the staff and the offering you're yeah. not going to be able to sit there and, and have a tranquil experience when you're bloated and you're, and you're sweating no. you know and ultimately that's down to what you're consuming at the same time so what we do a lot of is leadership development working with leaders and, and often the reason why they fail as leaders in today's environment there's so much they need to do they totally forget the two simple leadership skills that really makes impact and engagement is take time to listen and understand that mean put that away the distraction of all the things you need to do all the emails you need to answer and it's being connected to people because when you start listening and understand them, they will feel you're connected. And then you have engagement. It's free. Yeah, It's indeed. already there. It's not like a, a massive engagement program or employee practices you roll out. It's actually already there. But essentially, that's a catalyst of all, all negativity, all misunderstanding, is, is lack of connection to each other, to the food that we eat, to the planet that we share. Lack of connection is the core catalyst of all other issues. I think it was David Attenbury that said something similar in this uh, series about the planet. I think in the end, he said that we needed to come back again and be connected to the, the nature because we live in these urban environments with our phones and stuff like that. So we totally forget actually, where do we actually, not more than 50 years, where do we actually come from? Came from the countryside with a lift of the soil. Also, I wanted to touch a bit about marketing because you said your background is marketing and you're a marketeer. And that's been a big part of how you run your restaurant. And as I understand correctly, you won an award as well last year. Congrats on that. And you, you looked as one of the, the thinkers within restaurants on the 30s as well. Tell a bit about people because the first time I met you was at the Experian 101, which uh, Kieran and Chris puts on a great show. If you haven't been there, go and do that. You talked about how to grow restaurant sales with no budget. And or some people thought, oh, that's interesting. And other people thought, oh, it's going to be another one of these, you know, stories, you know. And you can see those people who are switched on and those people that are switched off in a way in that. So tell a bit about that story, because I thought it was quite, you know, thinking out of the box what you did there, where no normal people say, I need to spend 2% of my budget to Again, that's market. being confined and controlled by the industry norms. I mean, the prisoners of the, how it's always been done. I was fortunate to grow up with social media. So my first business was nightclub promotion, student events. We were filling out nightclubs and making a fair amount of money from organic Facebook reach on events when Facebook was first leveraged as a tool. Influencer marketing without realizing it was influencer marketing by picking the 20 most popular people to go and be your ambassadors for the night. So this is something that I've done for years, but I've just applied it to restaurants. I guess the simplest way to, to kind of explain it is I feel very fortunate to be in a position where I haven't had a budget, so I've had to be creative. I feel that when you have a budget, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, we'll spend 2% and here's 500 pounds of SEO and here's 2,000 pounds on Facebook ads and here's budget for photo, video, etc." When it's your business and you've funded it with your partners and you don't have that luxury, you better get creative. When you get creative, it's amazing what you can achieve. So for me, it's like, okay, how can I encourage people to take photos of their experience, the food, the aesthetic, etc.? I need to make it look really cool, really inspiring, really different, but ultimately play into what we're trying to achieve. Cool. Let's create a very Instagrammable setting, experience, food, etc. Let's use the tools of the platform and all the nuances to build a narrative that the community connects with. So pre-launch, I literally Instagram videoed myself every single day building the restaurant. You know what? 
people love the authenticity. They love seeing me struggle painting the walls and trying to carry fridges in that didn't fit. And it built a connection with the community. We worked hard on collaborations. I understood that if a business down the road with a similar audience to me has a network and I have a network and we can share each other's network and put something together that, that, that's exciting, that correlates, then it could be benefit to both people. So collaboration is a big one. Influencers done in the right way can be very, very effective. Invite someone in for a free meal. You Obviously, there's no cost outside of the cost price of that of that dish. Structure the post and the content in such a way that it promotes a, a campaign or something that you're, you're, you're trying to push out at that time. It's free. And there's all these little things and tricks and traits. And, and when I speak, it's not me standing up there and saying, I know everything, listen to me. This is a massive ego push or come and eat in my restaurants. I basically go in and reverse engineer the audience and I say, right, well, how can I give the most value possible in 20 minutes, 25 minutes? And what I experienced 101 and the other conferences, hospitality conferences I've spoken about in the last year is, here's 30 minutes of really practical takeaways that have worked for me in the restaurant. Here's how to work with influencers. Here's how to use collaborations. Here's how to build out your offering in a way that's shareable. And these are just things that I've seen work and I feel they can work for anyone. But ultimately, it all comes back to being able to effectively communicate why do you exist? Why are you here? What are you trying to achieve? It all stems from that. Yeah, because else it's difficult to do these things. Difficult to create content. Otherwise, it's difficult. You're, yeah. just, you're just copying other people yeah. doing it for the sake of it, right? It feels inauthentic. When it feels inauthentic, people don't resonate with it. That's why you call the agency when you can afford that, saying, can you help me create a story? Right. Because you don't have any story to tell. You don't have a That's story to That's why you to call get. an agency. Yeah. And, you know, and if, if you're a startup restaurant, chances are you can't afford to work with an agency. It's interesting when you said about, you talked about before, marketing is price as well. And you said pricing it right as well. If we just dive into that, because most people say, well, plant-based food is elitist food, so I can't afford it. Or it's sometime in London connected with something that happens out in Hackney and very overpriced and expensive. If you're buying in... Hmm meat substitutes that are low early stage production high cost yeah you're going to pass that cost onto the customer it can be expensive if you're going in eating in mayfair or eating in knightsbridge etc of course you're going to pay more because location etc but plant-based food is, is cheaper to produce than its meat alternative and you don't have wastage so you don't need to be greedy. As long as you can you can work with the margin and make it work for you, you can pass that on to the customer. So I would say that we're very competitively priced in both restaurants based on the experience, based on the, the locations and, and, and based on the food itself. We cook everything fresh to order, which means there's no wastage and we have to for, from our own sustainability ethos and we communicate that. And customers tend to be okay with paying a little bit more if you can communicate why they're paying more. If you just hike the price up because you've seen plant-based sales is more expensive, then yeah, you're gonna get disgruntled customers but we communicate that very clearly. Our food is freshly prepared to order. We don't reheat, freeze, etc. It's made to order. And I think if you can communicate that and why you're doing that, customers can resonate. We cook fresh because we don't want any wastage. And the reason we don't want wastage is because it's not sustainable. Okay, fair enough. Happy to pay it. That's what we find. In terms of what you said about the price point that's been attached, have some people done that? Yeah. Veganism's growing. Let's charge out. Let's put a big price tag on it. You know, and even I, on the way here today, I, I went to Starbucks and got a, got a latte. It's 50 pence more for coconut milk. Yeah, the same in supermarket. Coconut so, milk is more expensive. We yeah. get that at home. So, yeah. Yeah. So, which, which, which baffles me. These are businesses that claim to care about the environment and yet they're charging people for making a more sustainable choice. That's another, that's another that's, conversation. That, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> Don't self. send me down that <laughs> rabbit hole because it goes on and on and on. Also, if you want things to be more sustainable, you also have to accept the higher price point maybe is not what just pay for the food is also to make sure that you actually can deliver the product and actually people can be paid properly behind it because of course when you do fresh food to order there will be a higher labor cost and you need more hands absolutely but also what i've I've seen with working with people that have more plant-based offering is that it's more exciting to be in that kitchen because you learn much more because you have to actually be in contact with mother nature and the product from it so that's just my experience as well i wanted to throw in there so people have to understand some of the cost for food probably sometimes are tipped over you know the savings you do on food you will have to spend on labor if you want to do it sustainable sure. and with high quality product it's absolutely true on your journey which has uh, been very exciting journey who is your heroes we we touched on ray dalio before so who's your heroes who do you look up to where do you get inspiration from it doesn't have to be the ray dalio or richard branson it could be people that like that really moves you in a way in the right direction because it looks like you are on a personal journey as well yeah 
I read Danny Mayer's book, Setting the Table. Amazing book. That really reassured me because the first six months of the restaurant were incredibly turbulent. And there was times where I was just like, what have I got myself into? So reading his book about his first restaurant start, and he was the same age. I think he was 27 or 28 when he first opened the restaurant. yes. And I was 28 when I opened Eppingham House. So that was a really good read for me. I won the RMI Future Marketing Leader of the Year as part of that prize. I was able to go to Union Square's offices and meet some of their team. And and it was really insightful. So that was was really cool to make that connection. From a marketing perspective, I came across Gary Vee a few years ago. I've been fortunate enough to speak at their offices and I've made some connections with those guys and the way they he approaches things is what I've been doing accidentally for a long while so so I would say I consume his content for sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big reader as well. Podcasts, books, the personal development side of me, I think you have to be working as hard on yourself as you work on your business. If you're the driver of the vehicle, you better make sure the driver's in check as well as the vehicle or the vehicle's not going to go very far. So for me, a, a good portion of my day is trying to develop myself as well as the businesses that I'm working on. And to do that, it's a lot of reading, a lot of podcasts. Ray Dalio's book is great, as you said. Tim Ferriss, you know, people like that. How do you, in all this noise, because there is a lot of noise going on and challenges, you know, there's in any business you run, you have your people challenges, you have operational yeah. channels, you have marketing challenges, you're not getting sales enough. How do you keep yourself balanced? As you said, the first six months, you said, what the hell did I get into? Two things I would say mainly. One, plant-based lifestyle. It's in, almost impossible to have a calm, present and healthy mind without a healthy body. And I put that down 100% to my diet. I eat pretty much a whole food plant-based diet 90% of the time. There's a little bit of vegan junk food in there when I've got to try and try different bits and pieces. But most most of the time, it's whole food plant-based and meditation. Those two things combined. Obviously, there's other things. There's other things within that as well. But for the most part, I think if if you can put together or implement a simple 30-minute morning routine into your day, and for me, it's cold shower when I wake up. I don't ever want to do it. It's horrible, but doing the f- something you don't want to do immediately from a mental perspective is is a great way to start the day but secondly the the, the physical benefits of, of cold water exposure are, are great meditation stretching and breath work and the first 30 minutes of the day looks like that every day no matter what time i get up and that has been instrumental because it's so hard it's so so hard startup restaurant i would say is it's the hardest thing i've ever done absolutely the hardest thing i've ever done and i've done some pretty tough things so Having that morning routine and meditation being the kind of cornerstone of that has been absolutely instrumental in, in staying sane. And I'm not always okay with it. I, mean, I posted on Instagram today saying that, you know, pretty much that so there is times when I feel like I've taken a limitless pill. I literally feel unstoppable. I'll, I've, I feel great. And there's other times where I literally question myself with the yeah. worst sense of imposter syndrome. I think, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't do this. Mm. It's both sides of it. And it can be within the same hour. Meditation and diet, for me, are the two things that I always come back to as being the kind of the most important things. It's so interesting when you say there, because I've, you know, myself had, you know, great times, challenging time. And what I came down to, and when I work with leaders being their coach or something like that, I said, it's, it's an energy job. It's not a skill job. It's about energy. If you have the right energy, you can get through most things. And then, of course, you need to have some human skills and so on and work on those. because they, But they're learnable. It's a bit like the Rubik's Cube. You can learn that. Yeah. But it's an energy. You need to take it's care mind, of yourself. It's mindset. Yeah. It's mindset, ultimately. You know, you, and, and it's contagious. If you go into, go into a business with a real positive, can-do, inclusive, and, and emit that kind of frequency with your staff, then you, you, it's going to resonate with everyone. If you go in there down in the dumps and stressed and pulling your hair out, that energy is going to come off you as well. So it's important to find tools to hold it together. And for me, it's, it's, it's meditation. If something happens in the middle of the day and it stresses me out, go for a short walk, breathe, get recentered, think what is this trying to teach me as opposed to why is this happening to me? Yeah. Try and flip the way I think about not things, being the victim, not yeah. being the victim, not playing the victim because it's going to run. When you're in a leadership position, it's going to rub off on people. Between the three businesses, I've now got nearly 60 staff. When you're responsible for that many people, it's challenging, but it's, it's nerve wracking. You're responsible for people's lives, you know, like you have to pay those people, you have to you have to look after those people. It's a big responsibility. To be able to do that, you have to, be able to look after yourself as well. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people think success is not something to come overnight. It comes by, you know, the power of consistency of doing the same things day in and day out. You know, your 30 minutes. Like, I think that's mm. brilliant. Roll with, roll with the punches. I say this a lot. And for me, it's that resilience is the most underrated skill in entrepreneurship. You have to be one resilient person to succeed and to be on the journey of succeeding and it is a journey there isn't i don't think there's a finite end this is what success looks like it's it's a process 
and I failed more than most. But you have to be have a willingness to fail to extract the lessons from that to move forwards again. And all of the biggest lessons I've learned have come from failures. So I'm yeah. super open. You know what? What could happen in the next year? I could flop all the restaurants, I could go back to back to zero, but I'd be in such a strong position because of everything I've learned from them. Well, I think also they say in the investment world, you rather invest in a business where the, the founder have been through trouble and, you know, raised themselves back in the game. You know, they failed once, but now they're back again. Mm. I think I've heard that. That's definitely a criteria. Yeah, and I think if, from an investment perspective, you invest in the, in the individual. Yeah. Not not the business, you know, which I'm learning now, which, you know, which is part of the reason that I, I, I'm sharing the journey of the business and I'm trying to share what I know of other people to, to help them and help push the aim and the mission of the business, which is why I don't see it as competition, which is why I'm happy to speak, which is why I'm happy to do podcasts, which is why I'm happy to write articles, because I literally want there to be a plant-based restaurant on every street. I want every restaurant to be plant-based. Yeah. So the more information I can give people, the faster, and it doesn't matter if it's me. No. I don't care if it's me. It doesn't have to be me. It can be it can be anyone. The mission is more important than the individual person. It's not yeah. an ego play. It's, bi- it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's not an yeah. ego play. I'm just a, I'm a small. I'm a drop in the ocean. Yeah. But I'm hoping that I can give as much as I can to make an impact to achieve that as fast as possible. What do you perceive as your biggest individual leadership challenge right now and here? If you want to share that with the audience, because people often talk about you know. Oh, we're going great, 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 all that. But what is your biggest challenge and how are you approaching it to solve it? My biggest challenge is definitely being underfunded. And the challenges that presents is having to have difficult conversations with suppliers, with staff, with partners, with shareholders. You know, it really is challenging. And it's my, my biggest weakness and there's something that I've, I've only kind of really learned recently and through having a coach is that I strive to make everyone happy. I want everyone to be happy. And I I struggle to sleep if I think I've let someone down or someone's disappointed in something that I've done. So I really want to make everyone happy. And it torments me. So I want to make sure that all the suppliers are paid on time and up to date and that we're on great terms. But it's not always possible. Things can happen and it's not not always possible. So being able to communicate that in in a a way that where people are on board with us and I haven't let anyone down and... But that's challenging for sure. But that was a lesson that I learned very quickly. That stemmed from my naivety. Maybe one of the downsides of not having vast experience in the restaurant space is that I massively undershot the startup capital that was needed for Site 1. So when we opened Site 1, we didn't have a lot of money as back. It had to work, basically. So I opened Site 1, and if it wouldn't have worked in the first month, it would have shut. I put myself up against it, which I thought at the time was quite cool. Definitely not cool. I thought it was a challenge. It was a step too far. Put my back against the wall and put myself in a position where if it didn't work in the first four weeks, it would have shut. It had to work from from the get go. What ultimately that's that's led to it is us having to operate purely from cash flow. In I'm talking about Erpingham House, which has presented its own problems because, yeah. as you know, year one restaurant, it's not always going to be busy. So you have to navigate those challenges. But the benefit of that is 16 months in and having a business that's generating more sales than it has done is getting continuously better and better and better. It's taught me what I need to know for site two is that it needs to be financed properly from the get-go. I need to bring in somebody to look after that side of the business, which I have done. I need to have an understanding of the true cost before we open. All these lessons would never have happened had I not done that in site one. No, and you, you need to have your lessons at some point. Yeah, and equally, I'm willing to be transparent about it, which you ask most founders and most startups, oh yeah, it was great. And, no, I'm telling, I'll, be, I'll be honest, this is what happened. And by sharing that, I hope that anyone that is looking to start a restaurant takes heed from that kind of warning and, and realizes how important that is. And I totally agree. Many, many comes with a great intent to open a restaurant, but they actually, when you start to ask, why, why did you end here? It comes from, we actually didn't have enough funding or we had this funding, but you could never have afforded that site. It wasn't, it wasn't quite like that with me. With me, it was that essentially I took a site and I got a quote for all the works. I set aside an amount for cash flow. I had operational cash for the first quarter and I was naive in the sense that I presumed the building as it was given to me was as promised. Mm. What transpired was that I pulled the floor up and the floor was underneath were rotten, that the boiler broke within the first week, that the equipment that was left didn't work. All these things that I should have and could have been a little bit more savvy to checking, I didn't. And because of that, the crash flow that I had available disappeared. And it put me in a position where I needed to make things work, which the lesson now is make sure you check everything before you go into it make sure you have even more than you think you need to be able to fully execute what you want to do and i wasn't willing to half-ass it 
I wanted to make sure it was as I intended. So I spent the money on the interior. I spent the money on the stuff that was needed and put myself in a position where it had to work. Yeah, and I guess as well that what you're saying there is like do due diligence and be paranoid about everything. Definitely be paranoid about it. Because the penny runs in the corner. Yes. yes. And the unhidden. The flooring, for example. Done done similar thing way back at myself as well, yeah. Where we just took on things where we thought it was one world because it must be like that when they're operating there. <laughs> but that's not always how it is. It's a different Indeed. story when you come in yourself. So in the end of the podcast, we always ask to give like one advice to people out there. Could be people who want to start a restaurant, could be leaders in the industry. What would your advice be from your perspective? Have a clearly defined mission and reason for doing it beyond purely being a business to make money and be as a strategy be able to effectively communicate that with a strong point of difference as to what makes you different and able to pursue that mission so clearly defined purpose and direction clearly defined purpose and a clear point of difference this is the problem we're solving this is how we're solving it in a unique way and this is what we do which can change but effectively lead with the problem i'm solving this problem People want to eat healthier food, but do so quickly. But there isn't any way you can do that in this area. The way we're solving that in a unique way is that we're making sure that we're available to, to take out all through the day in sustainable packaging. That makes us different because everyone else is using plastic. And what it's going to tangibly look like is that it's a counter-service salad-style bar with these options in this location, which could change based on what happens. But you need to be able to answer those three questions. Great. I think that's a great answer. Louis, thank you very much for coming here and first of all, well, coming to Brighton. I, I guess you had other reasons, but again, coming to the Hospitality Maverick podcast and share your, your story. You were great insights about where the market's going on plan based. Your, your great tips on marketing. Also be very vulnerable and uh, honest about what your challenge is, but probably that's where you learn most from as well, listening to people's challenges instead of only the successes. Yeah, for sure. We're in the process of crowdfunding for the Brighton site, so that will be live soon as well. So if anyone's interested to get involved with that, it'll be live very, very soon on Crowdcube. Crowdcube. And on, and on Erpingham House Socials. And uh, if they want to find out a bit more about you and the general business. Yeah, so I'm I'm on Instagram at Louis underscore Blake, and my website is louiblake.com. Great. Thank you for coming, Louis. Thanks for having me. Wow, thank you, Louis, for sharing your insights about plant-based food, entrepreneurship, leadership, and marketing strategy, and so much more. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, or subscribe to us on one of our channels. Thanks to Let's Start Video Production for your help making these podcasts amazing. We hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingsam. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening. Have a Merry Christmas. But most important of all, continue to be maverick.